Hello, this is Christopher from Defeat Modernism. And a very happy feast day of Our Lady of Mount Carmel to all of you. In this video, I will be presenting a sermon on Our Lady of Mount Carmel and the Carmelite Order and Miracles of the Brown Scapular given by a father, David Hugo. But before I get to that, I just want to briefly share some of my own uh, experiences uh, regarding Our Lady of Mount Carmel and the Brown Scapular. Our Lady of Mount Carmel has a very special place in my heart, and this is because my first experience as a child regarding devotion to Our Lady was with the brown scapular that I can I can remember clearly. I was always fascinated by the brown scapular and reading the promise on it, and obviously I took it to heart and believed it. and And as I was growing up as a very young boy, I think I mentioned this in a in a prior episode a while back, but my dad we would watch the horror films, you know, those 70s, 80s horror films together when he was home on Saturdays in the afternoons and my mom was out uh, shopping or working, whatever she was doing. And that would scare me literally to death. I would have the lights on all night long. I would have my scapular on. I'd have extra scapulars and rosaries on each side of the bed. and, And I always would laugh with my father and say that, even though at that time he really didn't have the faith, he didn't really go to Mass at all with us. He didn't practice at all at that point. Um, but I told him he, he gave me the faith by, by watching those movies in a kind of a strange sense. It's just interesting how Divine Providence uh, works through these things because really he never should have had me watching those films. And it would be many, many, many years later when I would find the faith, find tradition, um, he would end up finding it uh, through me. So, again, it's interesting how providence works those things out. And and as uh, many of you know, my father had passed away uh, just before, a few days before Christmas last year, and he was always deathly afraid of, of dying, uh, as most of us are. And he just passed away in his in his room asleep, uh, but fortunately he had the scapular on and, and I hope and pray that that um, that he is in purgatory um, at a minimum. Uh, what's interesting is earlier that year, earlier last year, it was probably February. I had a dream, and it was you know one of those very distinct dreams. I have a few. I've had a few in my life that you know something is being told to you um, important. And his his mother had appeared to me. So she had died, I don't even remember how many decades ago. Um, and I'd never dreamt about her. I never really dreamed about anyone in my family. And she had appeared in my dream and just said, I'm going to be seeing your father soon. And that was it. And then the next, that morning when I woke up, I, I called my, I called up my dad and you know, I felt an obligation to tell him that. I told my brother and my mom, and um, he took it to heart. He he knew what it meant, and and he really began to prepare himself um, by praying even more. He'd be praying. He was praying all three decades of the Rosary every day, 
And uh, and then it wasn't until December, and then I remember I remember that I remember after he passed away, I was it dawned on me that dream that that I had, and then I reminded my mom and my brother, and and um, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing, and and I pray for my brother because he doesn't you know, he doesn't have the faith or anything like that. He's pretty much lost um, in, in in a certain sense. Although he he does understand what's going on in the world and why it's wrong, and he's against you know socialism, communism, and all this you know LGBT nonsense, all, all this evil. But you know he went through the Novus Ordo, went through the catechism classes there, and there's nothing you know there's nothing to inspire you to faith in those. And I, I would know this firsthand because I actually was a catechist in the Novus Ordo for a couple of years, um, and they were. The documents, the, the teachings in those books were heretical. I mean, there was they were saying that Jesus didn't know who he was as a child, didn't know he was the son of God. And um, yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. And I, I, I wrote a letter to the bishop pointing all the heresies in, in the documentation out. And, you know, nothing happened about it. Uh, me and several other catechists caused a, a stir about it. We were, we were not going to teach there any longer. Uh, if they didn't give us books that were actually Catholic, and and that never happened, so I ended up, um, you know, leaving leaving that. And there was other reasons for that, um, for me leaving that as well. But it was really Our Lady Mount Carmel that brought me to that to teach that catechism, and then I really was teaching the faith there. I wasn't teaching from those books; I was teaching from the saints, and the kids loved it. They absolutely loved it, and their mothers would come after a class. And tell me, they, they, would, they would say, I can't believe that like my daughter, my son, he can't wait to come here. But it's because I was teaching them the, the real faith and not this nonsense, this liberal nonsense. So um, it's so important. It's so important uh, to, to teach the faith without modernism. And the impact it can have on souls is tremendous. And I'm going to be getting to a, a talk given by Father Hugo on Our Lady of Mount Carmel and the miracles of the brown scapular. It's really an awesome, awesome sermon on the subject. Uh, but before I get there, I just want to go over just a couple more things just because I, I feel drawn to, to share this on this feast day because of all the great things that Our Lady has done uh, for me uh, in this journey. And, you know, it was... It was through the Third Order Carmelites uh, when I really started to get an understanding of what was wrong with the with the modernist church, with the Novus Ordo Church, and I made a lot of good friends there. Um, you know, I joined there very young. I don't maybe I was twenty, nineteen, twenty years old. Uh, everyone else was you know much much older than me. But they really helped me to learn a lot there, especially from the great saints like St. Teresa of Avila and St. Therese of Vesoux and St. John of the Cross, those great Carmelite, uh, great Carmelite saints. And, um, and that's how I got into the catechism, like teaching the CCD classes, the catechism classes. And as I mentioned, um, you know, I wrote that letter to the bishop, uh, Bishop John Smith at that time, the Diocese of Trenton. Uh, now I would hear not back from him, but from another priest in response to that letter many years later, but that would only be when I would go into the seminary. And the only way I entered the seminary was I had, I had always had a desire to want to teach 
theology, become a doctor in theology, and teach at the at the university level. And um, so I decided to go to St. Charles Borromeo Seminary, not to become a priest, but just to get the doctorate. You know, so I started taking classes there. I guess it was the summer of 1998, and uh, it was the feast day of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And I decided to go to the Carmelite Monastery that was there for for Vespers and then for Mass in the evening. And then I had class at night. I think it was at 7 o'clock at night. And uh, uh, after Mass, after, you know, Thanksgiving, I stayed in in the church and I decided to just write on a little prayer petition. I'd never done it before. I just wrote on a prayer petition. And I said, you know, dear Blessed Mother, what does Jesus want me to do with my life? Does he want me to get married? Does he want me to to teach? Does he want me to become a priest? And that was it. I folded it up, put it in the petition box, and then I drove back to St. Charles Seminary. I had a class that night. I believe it was that it was Jesus and the Four Gospels was the class of Father Joseph Pryor was was the teacher. And as I'm walking in, about to walk into class, this one woman stops me. And um, she was in the class with me. I don't remember her name. I don't know if she even ever told me her name. But I would always see her in the library uh, as, you know, we would have to do research for reports and, and, you know, the typical stuff you do when you're in a, a, like a master's degree program. But, um, and she would always be with her little son. But she had... She came up to me before, before class, and she goes, she goes, Chris, do you have a moment? I go, yeah. She goes, do, do you believe people can receive messages from God? And I go, yeah, I, I believe. And she goes, well, I have a message for you. And I go, okay. And she goes, just do it. And I go, do what? And she goes, sign up become a priest so at that moment I was just completely blown away and because no one she obviously couldn't have read what I did that no one was you know there was really no one even there in the chapel and uh, uh, you know I said well how 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 did you know to tell me this how and she said she just kind of looked up and said I just I just knew to tell you this and uh and so that really, really obviously knocked me off my horse, so to speak. And then I talked to the the dean there, who end up would end up being my spiritual director during that time, uh, Father Fred Miller. And he just said, "Well, it looks like you got your answer." And then at that point, I called up the vocation director and Father Bob Tinsky for Trenton. And you know, I guess the rest is history. Although, you know, I would end up leaving there after my second year. Um, because of all that I experienced and other reasons too, I, I'm not going to go into too much detail here. Some of you know I, you know, I had a private audience with John Paul II during that time. I mean, so many things had happened to me. All, I mean, all the way through my life up until obviously this this moment, leading me more and more into tradition, helping me more and more to understand um, what happened to the church, and then ultimately leading me to create defeat modernism. And it's just funny how all this works out, and that. I'm able to impact infinitely more people through this than if I ever was a teacher at a at a university because really only having 
maybe have a hundred students a semester, if that, if you're lucky, you know, and I have, you know, 34,000 subscribers and other channels. And so it's really just an amazing thing. You know, God answers prayers, but sometimes it's not exactly the way you think it would be. Um, and obviously there's more to the story. I'm not going to get into everything here. It's just too much time. Um, but I just wanted to give you that, just a little bit of a, uh, a a peek in to my life and how I've gotten to this, gotten to this point um, in my journey of faith. And, and actually during that, just one other thing, during that two-year period, Right, I mentioned about I, re- I wrote to the bishop about what was in those books, uh, the catechist books for the children, and it would be, I think, the summer retreat that summer that I would end up leaving the seminary of the Novus Ordo, and the vocation director, that same Bobtinsky, pulled me aside, and he said, "You you wrote a letter to the bishop a few years ago, didn't you?" And I go, "Yeah." He goes, well, I've read it. It was it was very good, but don't ever write to the bishop again. And that was it. And that really was one of the final things, you know, that made me say, I, I I'm done with this. I'm not going forward with this anymore. Um, but like I said, there's a, a lot of other reasons too. Um, but you know, these were these little things that happened to me along the way, where ten years later, twelve years later. I ended up going uh, back to the seminary, but St. Joseph's Seminary in Dunwoody in, in Yonkers, New York, again, just to try to get a, a doctorate, master's and a doctorate in theology. Uh, again, you know, there would be nothing but heresy, outright heresy being taught, things such as, you know, we worship the same God as the Muslims or the Jews when we don't, um, and other doctrines of modernism against the church. And But that's a whole... All that, everything else from the past, that past 12 years up till now is a whole other story I'm not going to get into here. But I just want to thank Our Lady of Mount Carmel for sticking with me, for, for looking upon me and helping me despite all the obstacles, um, seemingly at times impossible obstacles to try to find the faith uh, and for leading me to to tradition. And... I just wanted to give my own story, you know, speaking of miracles of the brown scapular, uh, because I truly believe it was my, my confidence in Our Lady and in wearing the brown scapular and having having faith in her protection that that has helped me uh, throughout my entire life. And just one more thing before I get to Father Hugo's sermon. This Saturday, July 16th, the feast day of Our Mar Carmel, I'm going to be doing a, a very special broadcast at 8 o'clock Eastern time of Sacred Music of Mary. Those of you watching on, on video, you can see that ticket. I put a lot of work into it, and it was a lot of fun, and, and I'm really excited about it and, and, and getting your reaction to it. There's going to be a lot of composers that you've probably not heard of, pieces you might not be familiar with, uh, some going all the way back to medieval Spain, and some uh, very recent composers. And uh, so I just, if you get a chance, check it out or, or watch the, the video uh, later, you know, later that night or the next day. Um, so please, uh, please keep that in mind. But let's get to this amazing sermon by Father Hugo. And again, please remember to hit the like and subscribe buttons. And please keep in your prayers. Thank you. Today we honor 
the Blessed Virgin Mary, the title of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Our Lady of Mount Carmel goes way back, prefigured in the time of the Old Testament. When in the third book of Kings, the prophet Elias, there was a long drought and he sent his servant to go after he prayed. Six times he sent his servant to go see if there was rain. And there was no rain. And the seventh time he prayed and he sent his servant and his servant said he saw above the ocean coming in, in towards the land a rain cloud, but the rain cloud was the shape of a foot. And Elias, knowing the book of Genesis, that he saw in that the woman whose foot would crush the head of the serpent, and that through the Virgin Mary, through her, would come the, the end of the drought of sin and the downpouring of grace on the whole earth, because she is the mediatrix of all graces, all graces come through her. So Elias the prophet saw that, and he saw, by a special inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he saw it was Our Lady that was prefigured. And another time, when Elias went across the river Jordan, he took his mantle off, touched the river with the mantle, and it stopped the river from flowing so he could cross it. That's the fourth book of Kings Chapter 2, verse 8. So his mantle had, had, had great power to stop the river. So when he was to be taken up to heaven, Eliseus, his disciple, he asked Elias for his prophetic spirit. And Elias said to him these words, If I leave my mantle behind for you, know that you will receive this prophetic spirit. So the scripture tells us when the fiery chariot came and took Elias, he was taken up into the heavenly realms and his mantle flew down to the ground. And that was kept as a relic by, Elis by Eliseus the prophet. <clears throat> so here you see prefigured the mantle, the brown scapular of Our Lady, that it would be miraculous and a sign of consecration and devotion to the Virgin Mary. It's interesting to note that on July 16th, today in the year 1251, Our Lady gave the brown scapular to St. Simon Stock. And he was 90 years old and he was suffering many trials in the Carmelite order that moved from Palestine into England. And it was here in England that St. Simon Stock received the scapular on this day. And the, the Virgin Mary appeared to him, accompanied by a multitude of angels. And she held in her hand the scapular of the Carmelite order. And these are the words she said. This is the complete version. Most of us are familiar with the second half of it. But here's the complete version. This shall be to you and to all Carmelites, a privilege that anyone who dies clothed in this scapular shall not suffer eternal fire. 
And then she also says, Accept this scapular, it shall be a sign of salvation, a protection in danger, and a pledge of peace. Whosoever dies clothed in the scapular shall not suffer eternal fire. So it's a sign of salvation, meaning a sign that you're going to save your soul if you wear the scapular. That's a huge gift from, from the Blessed Mother. It's huge. People spend hundreds of dollars just to wear the jersey of their favorite teams. And Our Lady gives us this. And many don't wear the scapular, especially the youth. They kind of despise it, but they should love the scapular. And it's a sign of salvation along with the rosary. It is a protection in danger. And we're going to look at a number of miracles that Our Lady worked through the wearing of the scapular. So it's a protection in danger. Just think how many close calls on the highway you may have had, accidents, and maybe diseases, sickness, and Our Lady protected you. And we don't even realize it many times. And then lastly, a pledge of peace. A pledge of peace. Peace in the home, peace in the soul, and peace is defined as the tranquility of order. So the great order in our soul that we always want to keep is the love of God first, and that comes with the state of sanctifying grace. I can, if I'm not in the state of grace, I cannot love God. It can't combine. You, I can't combine the state of sanctifying grace, which is to truly love God, with sin. It can't be both cohabitating in the soul. We're either property of the devil our property of God. And that property of God is with sanctifying grace. So that's the true peace in the soul, is to live in the state of grace. So it's a pledge of peace that Our Lady will help all those who wear her scapular keep the state of grace. And should they stumble and fall, she will see that they have the grace of true repentance and making good confessions. Whosoever dies clothed in the scapular shall not suffer eternal fire. So that alone is every reason to wear, to wear the brown scapular. But here's some other uh, points of interest here. This was taken from the booklet done by Father Gruner many years ago, Our Lady's Garment, the Brown Scapular, a Sign of Salvation and Protection. It's a, power, it's a powerful little pamphlet that he put out years ago. And I would suggest ordering a bunch and then passing them out to people. But he brings up some beautiful accounts here. Already in the year 1276, the abbreviated form of the scapular, which we all wear, the small one, existed as can be seen by the still-preserved small scapular of Pope Gregory X who died that year, 1276, and was buried wearing his scapular. 554 years later, his scapular was found intact in 1830 inside his tomb. So everything was dust and ashes, but his scapular was preserved. And it's still preserved today in the Arezzo, Italy, Museum. There are historical records of Carmelite confraternity meetings of lay people in Florence, Italy, in the year 1280. 
So the confraternity of the Carmelites, um, when you when you are, enro- are enrolled in the brown scapular, you become part of that confraternity. And on July 16th, of course, 1251, Our Lady appeared, giving to St. Simon's Dock today in 1251 the brown scapular. But it's also powerful that on July 16th, 1858, in Lourdes, the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to St. Bernadette in brown as Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And then, of course, in Fatima, on October 13th, 13th, during the miracle, the children saw Our Lady of Mount Carmel. She appeared as Our Lady of Sorrows. They saw Our Lord up to His waist in suffering with a crown of thorns and bleeding. And then they saw Our Lady of Mount Carmel holding the child Jesus and the child Jesus and Our Lady holding the scapular. St. Alphonsus Liguri, the founder of the Redemptorists, and St. John Bosco, the founder of the Salesian Order, were both devoted to Our Lady of Mount Carmel and both wore her scapular. When they died, each one was buried in his priestly vestments and scapular. Many years later, their graves were opened. The bodies and sacred vestments in which they were buried were dust. Well, that's the case for St. Alphonsus. But St. John Bosco was incorrupt. But the brown scapular which each wore was was wearing was perfectly intact. The scapular of St. Alphonsus Liguri is displayed in his monastery in Rome. And you can see his scapular, you can see the surplice he wore and uh, his his, um, other garments that he wore. So let's look at a few miracles that Our Lady worked through the brown scapular. There are many more. I'm just, I, I can't go all day with this. But the list is very long of all the miracles, and they're ongoing. Listen to this one. In the 14th century, Spain faced a deadly famine due to a shortage of all sorts of grains. A general procession was ordered, and in the area of Spain in which the Holy Scapular was triumphantly shown, immediately abundance returned and brought joy and consolation to the hearts of all. In the 16th century, in Sicily, a drought occurred like that which happened in the days of Elias the prophet. The people appealed to Our Lady, and the brown scapular was offered everywhere in the streets for veneration by the people. Suddenly the sky opened, the rain came, and soon the people had their lofts full with abundance of crops. In 2005, a priest, more recently, a priest was given a talk about the growth of satanic worship in the world, and how adults and young children are becoming possessed by the devil because of the use of things such as the Ouija boards, saying the incantations that open the door to the demonic in children's books, such as the Harry Potter series, and also going to fortune tellers and palm readers, etc. 
And on this Harry Potter series, a lot of traditional Catholic families let their kids read this garbage. And it exposes the children to casting spells. And it opens their soul to the devil, and they take it lightly. But it's not to be taken lightly. So when someone asks the priest how to protect oneself from the demonic, besides the obvious path of avoiding things that call upon Satan, the priest answered, Wear the brown scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel for protection from curses and the devil. And I know a case of another priest who discovered one of the, one of the altar boys, the mother found under his bed a box with a letter written to Satan and sealed in his blood that he sold his soul to the devil. This was the, her teenage kid. And she went to the priest, and the priest told her the only way he can break that, he has to burn it and consecrate himself to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and re-devote himself to Our Lady by wearing her scapular and praying the rosary. So she breaks these curses. She breaks these, these packs with the devils. And it's more frequent than we realize, especially among the young, because they, they've turned to the Navasordo and it's all empty. And it's often scandalous. And if, and if it's uh, the conservative parish, it's just bland. There's no sense of the mystery of the sacrifice. So many of the youth and many people turn to these strange paths that lead to Satan and witchcraft. One can understand why the devil works against those who promote the scapular after, after hearing the story of Venerable Francis Ipes. That's His name is spelled Y-P-E-S. One day his scapular fell off. As he replaced it, the devil howled, Take off the habit which snatches so many souls from us. Then and there, Venerable Francis made the devil admit that there are three things which the demons are most afraid of. The holy name of Jesus, the holy name of Mary, and the holy scapular of Carmel. To the list we could add, of course, the holy rosary. One day a young woman, before entering the religious life, went to see the curé d'Ars, St. John Vianney, and during the conversation he asked her, Do you recall, my child, at the certain event of dancing where you were. There was a very young man, very handsome, unknown, distinguished, admired, and all the girls wanted to dance with him. Yes, I remember when he, when he, but he never came to ask me for a dance, and I was sad about that, yet all the other girls were privileged to dance with that young man. You would have liked to dance with him, wouldn't you? asked St. John Vianney. Yes. Do you recall when that young man was leaving the dance hall, you saw under his feet two blue flames, and you thought it was an illusion of your eyes. When you, when you saw that young man leave the dance hall, you saw fire under his feet. It was not an illusion of your eyes, my daughter. That man was a demon. And if he did not come to you to ask you to dance, it's for one reason. 
you were wearing the vestment of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. A priest relates that one day in a town near Chicago, he was called to the bedside of a man who had been away from the sacraments for many years. The man did not want to see me. He would not talk. Then I asked him to look at the little scapular I was holding. Will you wear this if I put it on you? I ask nothing more. He agreed to wear it, and within the hour, he wanted to go to confession and make his peace with God. This did not surprise me, because for over 700 years, Our Lady has been working miracles in this way through her scapular. On the very day that Our Lady gave the scapular to St. Simon's talk, he was hurriedly called by, by Lord Peter of Linton. Come quickly, Father, my brother is dying in despair. This is in England. Come. St. Simon's talk left at once for the bedside of the dying man. Upon arrival, he placed his large scapular over the man. So he's, he's dressed as a Carmelite, so he's got the full-size scapular, the super-size scapular. We've got the, the mini one. So he laid it over the dying man, asking our Blessed Mother to keep her promise. Immediately the man repented and died in the, in the grace of God. That night the dead man appeared to his brother and said, I have been saved through the most powerful queen and the habit of that man as a shield. And this is very, very true. As a priest, I can say all the deaths and all the extreme unctions I have given, um, they've been, most of them, very happy deaths because they wore the scapular. So sometimes, take note of this, sometimes you've got to wrestle with the doctors and nurses, especially the nurses, because they always want to take off the scapular and maybe understandably so sometimes because they got tubes and everything. But you got to fight with them. You got to wrestle with them. My mother or my grandfather, whoever's in, in the hospital, they must have their scapular on. And sometimes you, sometimes you, you, they won't allow it on the neck because it's all tubes and everything. So at least on the wrist, tied around the wrist, tied around the ankle. But you got to wrestle with these these modern pagan nurses who, who have no sense of the supernatural. Not all of them, but most of them indeed. Let's look at a couple more. One day in 1944, a Carmelite missionary in the Holy Land was called to an internment camp to give the last rites. The Arab bus driver, Muslim of course, made the priest get off the bus four miles from the camp because the road was dangerously muddy. After two miles walking through the muddy roads, the missionary found his feet sinking deeper and deeper into the mire. Trying to get solid footing, he slipped into a muddy pool. Sinking to his death in this desolate place, he thought of Our Lady and her scapular. He kissed his great scapular, for he was wearing the full habit as a Carmelite priest. And he looked towards the holy mountain of Carmel, because this was in the Holy Land, the birthplace of devotion to God's mother. He cried out, Holy Mother of Carmel, help me, save me. A moment later, he found himself on solid ground. 
and later he said, I know I was saved by the Blessed Virgin through her brown scapular. My shoes were lost in the mud, and I was covered with it, but I walked the remaining two miles praising Mary. And then uh, lastly, uh, in 1845, in the late summer of that year, 1845, the English ship King of the Ocean, on its way to Australia, not far from Cape Hope, found itself in the middle of a hurricane. As the wind and sea mercilessly last lashed the ship, a Protestant minister with his wife and children and other passengers struggled to the deck to pray for mercy and forgiveness as the end seemed at hand. Among the crew was a young Irishman, John McAuliffe. On seeing the urgency of the situation, the youth opened his shirt, took off his scapular, and making the sign of the cross with it over the raging waves, he tossed his scapular into the ocean. At that very moment, the wind calmed. Only one more wave washed the deck, bringing with it his scapular, which came to rest at the young man's feet. All the while, the minister, a certain Mr. Fisher, the Protestant minister, had been carefully observing <coughs> John McAuliffe's actions and the miraculous effect of those actions. Upon questioning the young man, he was told about the Holy Virgin and her scapular. Mr. Fisher and his family became determined to enter the Catholic Church as soon as possible and thereby enjoy the same protection of Our Lady's scapular. <coughs> this they did shortly after landing in Australia. So many, many miracles. A plane crash in Guatemala in 1955, 20, 27 passengers died except one, the woman wearing her scapular. It was a girl. And another interesting detail Father Gruner brought out. On Pentecost Sunday, when the apostles with the Virgin Mary received the, the Holy Ghost and the tongues of fire, ten days after Jesus ascended into heaven, the spiritual descendants of Elias and his followers came down from Mount Carmel. So the followers of Elias, we are in the monastic tradition, they're, they're always called the first monks because they lived vows of chastity. Men lived vows of chastity and the women also. So these were considered like the first monks before the St. Saint, Saint Benedict and St. Pacomius and St. Anthony. So the, uh, the, these monks, these followers of the prophet Elias at the time when Christ came, they, they came out of Mount Carmel to find the apostles. These were the first to accept the message of Christianity and to be baptized by the apostles. When at last they were presented to Our Lady and, and they heard the sweet words from her own lips, they were overcome with a sense of majesty and sanctity which they never forgot. They returned to their holy mountain, Mount Carmel, and erected the first chapel ever built in honor of the Blessed Virgin Mary. From that time, devotion to God's mother became the treasured spiritual legacy of the hermits on Mount Carmel.
So there's much to be said about the brown scapular. And of course, um, people do ask, can I wear the metal scapular? There's a, like, there's a metal scapular that has all the images on it. And it was St. Pius X who himself gave the permission to replace the cloth with the metal scapular. But the preference is to be given to the cloth, which has to be brown wool and usually blessed by the priest. And normally at First Communions, the priest will, after the Mass, enroll the children in the brown scapular. That's a custom from way back. But if one has not been enrolled, it's wise to ask that enrollment. And when one is enrolled, the prayer does say that at the hour of your death, Our Lady will be there to drive away the attacks of the ancient serpent who will come to try to bite the thoughts of despair and hopelessness into the soul. So Our Lady will be there to protect you. And and then what do you do with the brown scapular after it's worn or it breaks? A lot of the young, especially the young boys and young men, they, they break scapulars a lot because they're playing basketball, hockey, and all kinds of sports. They get all sweaty and, and uh, corrode easy. So if it breaks, you, tr- you can try to fix it and, and try to fix it as long as it will last. But if it's hopelessly broken and cannot be refixed, it's, you, it's better to burn them or to bury them because they are blessed. Another question people ask is, Father, I was told that I don't need to have a new scapular when I wear it, I put it on, I don't need to have it blessed, because I was told it's all automatically blessed when I put it on. And I've heard that too, but it's, it's the object that is actually blessed as well. When the priest blesses it, It's the object that's blessed. When he blesses a car, the car is blessed and given a guardian angel. When he blesses a house, the house is blessed. So it's not some mystical saying. The priest, it's very practical. He blesses an object. And any object worthwhile can be blessed. So I always, and I know some other priests too, they just say, don't worry, we'll bless your scapular. And I think it's better to wear one you know is blessed. But, so let's, let's turn to the Blessed Virgin Mary at Fatima. This was one of her apparitions on October 13th. And to St. Bernadette and to St. Simon Stock. So she is truly a powerful mother. And when our Lord dying on the cross said to St. John, Behold your mother, he was thinking of us. That's our mother. And we, just, just as we're here in Boston, so you see a lot of Boston Bruins jerseys and hats, and they're devoted to their team, and, and rightly so, especially if they're, if they're victorious. But they'll, uh, they'll, they love to be part of that, that excitement of a team. But this is far, far greater. We are cons- we're consecrated in, in, under the protection of the Blessed Virgin Mary by wearing her scapular. So the scapular is very, very powerful, and the church gives a 500-day indulgence when you kiss the scapular and you hold it and when you venerate it. So let's ask Our Lady 
she we have a glimpse of the 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 ladies the ladies paradise in heaven is an endless wardrobe of of all these kinds of dresses our lady appears in blue she appears in white she appears in brown so that tells you that the wardrobes of heaven are quite abundant for all the saints for the especially the ladies so our lady she has all these different clothings to manifest her her different aspects of her of her many powerful in, ways to intercede for us so today we honor in a special way, Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Let's really pray to her. Let's renew our consecration to her in a simple way today. And make sure you have a scapular. Make sure you wear it. And it's never to be despised or treated in a trifling manner as just a good luck charm. Oh, well, it's just a superstition. It's not. It's a blessed object that has the protection of Our Lady. And she will protect you from danger. She will bring you peace of your soul. It's a sign of salvation and a guarantee that if you die with it, you will not be cast to the fires of hell. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. And for those who do not have recourse to thee, especially the communists and Freemasons and other enemies of Holy Church. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Oh, I 
Oh, no. 